How are you guys doing tonight? Faith Church, man, you guys know how to worship. That was an incredible worship experience. Give it up for your worship team, man. These guys, incredible worship. And guys, I got to tell you, um, Pastor Steve is my guy. I love Pastor Steve and Shauna. They are incredible leaders, incredible people. Um, they are the real deal. And that's a really, that's a really big, yeah, give it up for your pastors. Seriously, give it up for your pastors. I told the staff earlier today, I've been a pastor for about 13 years now, and I've never heard a pastor tell every one of his staff after he got off the phone with them or after he left them in person that he loved them. I've never heard that before. It sounds crazy, right? But that just means that's a, that's a special thing. That's a big deal. He truly, truly loves his staff. He truly, truly loves you guys. He talks about you guys all the time when we're together, and he is very, very passionate about what he does. So, Thank you so much, Pastor, for being a man of integrity. Well, again, as Pastor said, my name is Jed Chapel. Uh, I've been a pastor for 13 years. I love what I get to do. Today I get to lead an incredible outreach uh, center called City Center in Oklahoma City. It's a center for under-resourced families and at-risk youth in our community. There's about 2,000 kids in our community where we live specifically that are considered homeless. Yeah, it's crazy, right? They're considered homeless, and m many of them come to our center on a daily basis, we offer food for them, food boxes, clothing, uh, an after-school program. We partner with uh, professional athletes to provide a mentorship program for them so they can have better opportunities uh, than we had growing up and then that I had personally, as you'll hear tonight as I personally tell my story. I also have to introduce my beautiful wife of 15 years, Julie Chapel, sitting on the front, and there's a picture for you right there. Man, I'm telling you, wow. I love my wife. Uh, she's my partner in crime at City Center. We work together closely. I operate as a CEO. She operates as a COO, and she does an incredible job helping us lead this organization, uh, doing everything we can to push back darkness and to embrace the gospel and share the love of Jesus Christ with these families and these young people in our community, and we absolutely love what we get to do. Amen. Thank you, babe. Love you. She's awesome. And so I've also written a book. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. I wrote a book. You're going to hear a lot of the story tonight, but there's more to the story. We'd love for you guys to grab one of these books that, that I've written just really very recently. You can grab one of these books by going to jedchapel.com, and there's a banner on the bottom of the webpage. You can click that banner and donate $15 or more to City Center, and I will send you a free book. The book is entirely all about giving back to the community and funding City Center there in Oklahoma City. And we are in the midst of scaling this thing throughout all of Oklahoma City. So every little bit counts, and we just really appreciate the idea that you would even consider partnering with us in that regard. Like Pastor said, you guys already do as a church, and that means the absolute world to us. What you partner with us on a monthly basis helps provide two weeks' worth of meals to about 100 kids every day in the after-school program. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a lot of food, man. And we do, we're very intentional about pro providing and preparing home-cooked meals with our nutrition coordinator. So we think that's a really big deal. And the fact that you guys partner with us and support us, it absolutely means the world to us. Amen. Man, I love you guys. I love Alabama, man. Hey, you know what? I actually, I love Alabama football. Who loves Alabama football, right? I mean, I love Alabama football. We especially in Oklahoma love Alabama football because you guys just gave us a quarterback. Oh, man. Too soon, too soon. I'm trying to make friends here. My bad. 
But seriously, though, I'm a big Sooner fan, and I do respect and love Alabama. Nick Saban's my guy, an incredible coach. Um, well, I'm going to jump in tonight, uh, share a little bit of scripture, and tell a little bit of my story. And uh, we're going to get to know each other tonight. Is that cool? You guys cool? Awesome. Well, how, how many of you guys heard the scripture before? Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and, pl- and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. In a future, you ever heard that, that scripture before? You ever seen it written on one of, maybe your grandmother's, uh, one of her quilts that she has in her house? Or maybe your mom had it in a picture frame on the wall? We've all heard that scripture. And many times when I hear that scripture, I think of that scripture and I think, man, that's, man I, that'll preach, right, Pastor Steve? That'll preach. I love that scripture. I want to embrace that scripture. I want that plan. I want that purpose in my life to take, be active today, right now. But when you read the scripture in context... There's so much more to it. There's so much more to God's plan that plays out in our lives than we realize. And have you ever listened, heard that scripture and your life is kind of a mess and you don't feel any purpose? You don't think, see God's plan for your life being active and you're wondering, what does this scripture even mean? I don't feel God's purpose, God's plan. I don't feel like he wants to prosper me right now in this moment. Anyone else ever feel that way? I felt that way before in my life. And so I look at this scripture today, and I look at it differently. The reality is, to contextualize this whole scripture, uh, uh, earlier in in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, there was a false prophet named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was telling the Israelites that they were actually going to be out of captivity, out of exile, in two years. This was false. The reality was, though, they had already experienced great persecution. So they loved hearing this, this word from this false prophet. Uh, he was benefiting from these false statements that he was making, but they loved hearing it. How many of you guys, if you were in captivity, if you were brutally beaten and experienced what the Israelites did, how many of you guys would have been like, hey, I want the dude that's saying we're going to be out of captivity in two years? Huh? Me too. Amen. So he, he was giving false prophecies. So Jeremiah comes on the scene, and you got to realize at this point, the Israelites had already suffered Greatly. I mean, they had been beaten and dragged through cities, ridiculed. Things were hurled at them. Many of them actually resorted to cannibalism in this time because the famine was so great. They had already suffered great persecution. And now this this false prophet is being corrected by the prophet Jeremiah. So to really look at this scripture for what it truly is, let's back up and start at verse 4 in Jeremiah chapter 29. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase number there. Do not increase. Wait a second. Um... He's saying, like, let's settle down. Let's plant some roots. Let's stay a while. It's going to be a minute. Wait a second. This does not sound like what I want to hear. I don't want to spend any more time in exile in Babylon, right? I don't want to spend any more time in this. It looks like as God is, as the book is, is titled Full Circle God, it looks like there's a process to this circle the Israelites are about to go in. And there's a process to this circle. Verse 7 says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city of which I have sent you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait a second. There's, hold on a minute. 
You want me to pray for and bless the city that is holding me hostage right now? This, this doesn't make sense. I'm going to let you guys know something. There are people in the circle that God might be taking you in. And guess what? They might be people you don't like being around. That's, that doesn't sound fun, does it? I'm going to skip down to verse 10. It says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise. Man, God, God is a God that doesn't lie. He fulfills his good promise to bring you back to this place. There is a promise in the circle. It may seem like, you know, our way out, maybe we're right here and our way out is right there. But most times God wants to engage in a process with us. And sometimes we, instead of going straight across the way, we end up going in a circle and having all these experiences in the process. And through this process, we engage with others and end up benefiting from the, the joy, the pain, the hurt, the sorrow, the, the victories we even have. But it's a beautiful process when we embrace it and we engage in relationship with Christ. And at the end of that circle is a promise that we can all embrace. See, here's the thing. God's promise is certain and sure. Just not always immediate. His promise is certain. It is sure. It is going to happen. He will deliver on his promise. He is good on his word. It's just not always immediate, not always in our timing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not very patient when it comes to wanting to embrace the things that God has for my life. But he is a good God. And the reality is, just like the Israelites here, there's more to their story. It plays out. It plays out beautifully at the end of the day. And there's more to my story as well that I want to share with you guys tonight. But before we go any further, I want to pray with you guys. I want to pray. And I, just, I believe God's going to move in, in incredible ways tonight. I believe he's going to show up. And I believe that he's going to uh, touch people's hearts. So I pray that your heart would remain open, that you would hear what God has to say to you tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much, God, for Pastor Steve and Sean. I thank you so much for the staff that's incredible. I thank you, Lord, for the people of this church, this beautiful display of, of who you are, God. And I pray that tonight that you would open hearts. God, I pray that you would direct my words. Holy Spirit, move in this place. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, to start with my story, I want to introduce you guys to me through a day that changed my life forever. Man, this day was January 20th, 1995. At this time in my life, I'd been a drug dealer. I was 14 years, I was, started dealing drugs when I was 14 years old. Got really angry at God around 11 when my dad passed away. And from 14 to 18 in Oklahoma City, I was carrying a gun, selling drugs on the northwest side of OKC. At this point, I was running low on money and some friends came to my house in a beat up 1988 Buick Regal or something like that. They pulled up and they said, hey, Jed, we know you got the gun. We know you need some money. How about we go kick in some doors to people's houses? And if anybody's home, we'll tie them up and take everything they have. I'm not proud of any of this stuff that I've done. I'm not, I'm not trying to boast about it, but I do want to share the darkness of my past to illuminate the light of Jesus and what he's done in my life. Amen. So we go, we start off at 10 a.m. that morning. We go from house to house, kicking in doors, taking people's stuff. Thankfully, nobody was ever home. We didn't tie anyone up. We didn't hurt anyone physically, although we did hurt many people emotionally. 
We decided to hit one more house, 3 o'clock that afternoon, after we had gathered all this other stuff. And we kick in the door. We're inside the house gathering CD players and VHS tapes and VCRs. And half you guys don't know what a VCR is. It's this big box. Never mind. <laughs> gathering all this stuff, TVs, getting ready to take it out to the getaway car with two of my friends as we were inside. Then the girl driving the getaway car in the driveway, who's about 17 years old, note, don't get involved with knucklehead guys, ladies. They will lead you down a path that could cause you and, and trick you into making some decisions and vice versa. It goes both ways. Look out the window. The girl driving the getaway car is being jammed up by a police officer, pulling her out of the car into the back seat of his car, of his squad car. All of a sudden, we look and we see this happening. We say, we got to go. We got to get out of here right now. So we find our way around the house. We find a window. We break out the side window, dive out the window. I have the gun in my hand that was in my waistline at this point. And we're running through these yards in this neighborhood with my two friends behind me. And as I'm running through these yards as fast as I can, about 20 feet away from me in front of me in the road to my right is an undercover police car that comes to an abrupt stop. And it seems as if everything slowed down. It got really slow and things became muffled. And as I seen him draw his weapon over the hood of the roof of his vehicle, he shouted, drop your weapon or I'm going to shoot. And my first wired reaction was to pull my weapon and raise it on him and begin to charge towards him. As I was running towards him, things began to slow down even more. And as I was going to squeeze the trigger before I could, I heard five shots ring out and smoke filled the air. The first bullet hit me in the chest, and it felt like something, like a train had hit me right in my chest. The second bullet hit me in my arm. The third bullet hit me in my finger, sending it sideways, and the fourth bullet came down, hit this finger, traveling through my hand, breaking my arm. I remember I hit the ground, and again, I can't, things are cloudy, and I'm looking at the sky, and I'm laying on my back, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what, what just happened? And as I'm laying on my back, it was a beautiful day that January, and there was nothing but blue skies. But I began to see and feel some type of wetness and rain, it felt like, falling on my face. Every time my heart beat, blood was spewing out of my chest. It was going everywhere. I lost 65% of my blood supply. The ambulance comes. They, they get me on the ambulance. I flatline for 20 seconds. They revive me with defibrillators, and I wake up handcuffed to a bed in ICU, thinking, what just happened? What, what just happened to me? And the reality is, the things that I know as a pastor and what I've, I've experienced is maybe you, haven't, maybe you haven't experienced that same type of scenario that I went through, but maybe you've had your own, and what just happened moment. Maybe one click led to another, and you ended up in a dark place that you thought you would never go to. Like, what just happened? Maybe that fun, flirty relationship you had at work went a little too far, made a bad decision. Like, what just happened? Maybe, maybe you're a victim in this scenario. Maybe you trusted somebody a little too much, and you went a little too far and got a little too close, and you were hurt. And maybe some things we can't even talk about in open space happened. You're like, God, what just happened? I didn't ask for that. The reality is, 
many, if not all of us, has, have experienced a what just happened moment. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. The story's not over yet. Jesus died on the cross for your sin to cover you in his blood so that you could have new life and so that the story could go on and you could live with purpose and live and walk in the promise that he's called you to. Man, yeah, something has happened to all of us, but God has a purpose and a plan, and he wants to transform our lives. There's three things in this scripture that I want to talk about tonight, and there's three things that I see reoccur in my personal story in my life. In the circle that I found myself walking in in life, you know, after growing up hearing that God had a purpose and a plan for my life, there's three things that stand out. There's a process in the circle. You know, there's a other people in this circle, and there's a promise in the circle. The process for me was, was pretty crazy. So let's fast forward a little bit. I get out on bond, and I'm out on bond after being in jail. Basically, you put some money up so they'll get you out of jail so you can go and await trial. So I was out on bond for about seven and a half months, and then at that mark, I had to go back in for a month back to the county jail before I was sentenced. Sentencing day comes. I, I come to the courthouse, shackled and chained, orange jumpsuit, shuffling into the courthouse. I go into the courthouse lobby, and I look at my family as they're waiting for me on my sentencing day. I remember looking at my girlfriend at the time who was pregnant. She points at her stomach and says, I'm in labor. She goes into labor in the lobby of the courthouse, guys. Not joking. Can't make this up. And you walk, we walk into the courtroom, and I stand before the judge, and I, he says a few choice words that I, I, I guess I wasn't, he wasn't a big fan of me in this moment for some reason. I say the, whatever I can say to try to get him to be lenient on me. And before I knew it, he said, Mr. Chapel, at 19 years old, I sentenced you to 47 years in prison. And he wrapped the gavel on his bench. And it was as if that gavel just resonated throughout that entire courthouse. And I remember looking back now in that moment, I had been so mad at God because I felt like he took my dad away from me when I was too young. But in this moment, I realized I just took myself out of my son's life by the choices that I had made. And I was deeply convicted. And the Holy Spirit grabbed me in such a way, guys, I can't even, I can't even explain and I was on this county jail floor after sentencing, just repenting and crying out to God to take my life and change it. And I said, God, if there is any brain cells left in this head, they're yours to use. And in that moment, I felt this peace that many of you know, that this peace that just covered me. And I knew that I had been forgiven. I knew that I had been forgiven, that I had been changed, and that he had set me free. And I wish I could say that I just floated out of that cell and went on to freedom because I said, I'm sorry. But I ended up miraculously, actually, doing eight years in prison because of good behavior, and I was released early. But in that eight years is where the process within this circle began. The process began for me. I started to trust God. I put my hope and my faith in him. I followed him my entire incarceration, and God began to develop me as a leader, and he began to build me up and to the man and the father and the husband that he called me to be. And within that process, I began to see God completely transform my life. You see, here's the thing. God, he's not just trying to get you through something. He's trying to get you to something. He's not just trying to get you through something, man. He cares so much more about your character than that. He wants to get you to something that he's called you to that's great. 
that is so unimaginable. You can't imagine what God has planned for your life. He just wants to get you through it so he can get you to it. The second thing that we see in the circle that, man, there's people in the circle. There's people in the circle that need to hear your story. There's people in this process, this what feels like we're going around a mountain, just like the Israelites were. It feels like we're just wandering aimlessly, but in the process, there's people that need to hear your story and benefit. So when I was in prison, man, there was all kinds of guys I connected to. I mean, I would just befriend people and share Jesus through relationship. It wasn't like I would preach at them or anything like that. And I'll never forget the day. It was about, I guess it was about six months ago. So we're at our second location that City Center is launching. Uh, we're, we're set to launch this new location, new location and a third one this year. Crazy, right? Like, this is crazy. We're at our second location, and I have volunteers that will come. They'll paint and all that kind of stuff and help us prepare the rooms that we're going to use at, at this location uh, for our education room and things like that. And there's a group of volunteers, and this 20-year-old guy comes up to me, and he said, hey, man, I just, um, hey, I just want to tell you something, man. Um, I really appreciate you being a friend of my father when you were in prison. I was like, oh, who's your dad? He told me his name. He said, man, he, he, he vowed to never be a Christian or a Christ follower. But he said because of the relationship that you had with him, after he had gotten out, he had accepted Christ and fully committed his heart. And I can't take credit for that. I'm not taking credit for that, man. But what I am saying is this. When we engage and share our story and love people right where they're at, our experience, all of our experiences, all of our joys, again, all of our pain, everything we've, we've experienced in life, life once surrendered to the cross is powerful and affected to help people see a, a tangible image of Christ's love. Begin pastoring. That's crazy. Like, how, is that even legal for me to be a pastor? Is it even biblical? I mean, what's, I mean, this is crazy. So I get out of prison in 03, and um, I start attending a church. And I had been there for like three weeks, and the youth pastor was super cool, man. He, he would hang out with me in the, in the lobby every week. And he came up to me on that third week, and he said, hey, man, um, you would be an incredible volunteer in the youth building across the street. I said, hey, man, um, you need to find a really good background check because there are some things that you need to know. And we began to talk, and I shared my story with him. He was like, oh, man, that's cool, man. I think that that's, we have a group of kids that actually could benefit from your story. And so I started volunteering over there. And in 2007, they said, hey, we want you to be our outreach pastor here at the church. This was about a 9,000-member church at the time. And I'm like, whoa, man, that's awesome. And I started going back into the communities that I used to harm, that I used to hurt, that I used to sell dope in. And I started setting up mentorship programs for young people in these communities and started seeing hundreds of youth, seeing their lives transformed because People just showed up. When you guys show up on this serve day, don't take it lightly. When you show up as a church in the community like you're going to do on this serve day and engage with people and just love people right where they're at, you're going to see transformation and change that maybe you won't see in that moment, but at some point in their life, that's going to plant a seed that's going to absolutely affect them for years to come. Another crazy story of how other people are involved in this process. Remember that officer that shot me? 
awesome guy. You know, I'm sure that he was just, I know that he was just doing his duty, but I was thinking one day at my desk um, when I was a pastor, and, and the Lord kind of spoke to me. You know, God doesn't speak to me audibly. He doesn't, he doesn't like have a booming voice from heaven. If he does that with some of you guys, that's awesome. But to me, it's just impressions, right? And so I had this impression like, you know, God was saying to my heart, Jed, you need to reach out to that officer that shot you and ask him for forgiveness. And I'm like, hold on, God, what does that conversation look like? You know, is there going to be red and blue lights in my, in my front yard? Am I going back to prison? I, I'm not down with going back. I'm, I'm good on prison. I've done my time. And so I prayed about it, and I just asked God, like, God, what does that look like, right? I started praying about it, talking to a lot of police officer friends of mine. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to call him. So me and the Holy Spirit just called him. No game plan, just me and Jesus like, hey, we're going to call this police officer that shot you and say, hey, just got out of prison. How's it going, man? Want to have coffee? You know? <laughs> like, great, great idea, Jed. Let's go. So he's no longer an officer. I call his place of business. He wasn't there. They took my number, not my name, which I thought was interesting. And I get a call back five minutes later. My heart is pounding like, Oh, about the hyperventilate, like, oh, he's Kiki actually called back. That's real. It's going to happen. I answered the phone, and he said, this is Jerry. Did I receive a call from this number? I was like, yes, sir. Um, I said a couple questions for you. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, first of all, are you a retired police officer from the Oklahoma City Police Department? He said, yeah, I am. But this next question, man, this is real specific. He's going to know something's up. I said, were you involved in a shooting that involved a youth? Back in 1995, he got real quiet. Then he responded, yes. I said, well, sir, my name is Jed Chapel, Boy, then the man now that you shot. And I just want to ask you for forgiveness for putting you in that situation. It's got to be hard enough to shoot anyone, let alone. Before I get the words out, he says, a kid? I said, yeah, a kid. He starts audibly crying on the other end of the phone. I said, sir, just so you know, I'm a different person. Um, he, and he started explaining how he felt like he needed my forgiveness in this whole process. He felt like he was too excessive. He started going down this list of things saying, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And I said, sir, and I respectfully stopped him. I said, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. You did exactly what you were trained to do. I was going to kill somebody. I was going to kill you. I could have shot a stray bullet into a home and harmed some little old lady or some child or there's no telling what could have happened that day. I said, as a matter of fact, my worst day was my best day because of you. I said, have you ever heard of a, and I mentioned the church I was at. He said, yeah, I've actually been to that church before. I said, well, I'm a pastor there now. He goes, man, God does work miracles, doesn't he? <laughs> I'm like, yes, he does. I'm trying to tell you, man. It gets better. There's more to the story. Six months later, I get a call from, from him, and he's emotional again. I can tell he's really emotional. I was like, hey, Jerry, how's it going, man? Um, what's going on? He said, Jed, my 17-year-old son has been struggling with a heroin addiction for a year now. He said, we don't know what to do. Would you be willing to, to reach out to him, to sit with him, to help him figure out what his next steps are? I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. Where are the cameras right now? You know, I, I would do anything he asked me to in that moment. This is an honor. I said, yeah, I sure will. Took him into my office every week for the next eight months. He ended up, I ended up driving him to a rehab, talked to his mom a few months ago. He's been clean for five years, graduated college with a degree in cybersecurity. 
So much more to the story. So much more to the story, right? I can't take credit for that, but what I can say is things come full circle in our lives, and you'll never know what God wants to do with these experiences that you've had. I sat with his mom before I took him to that, before I started counseling with him. And she said, Jed, isn't it crazy how God preserved your life? And she gave me the title of my book in that moment, and she didn't know it, and neither did I. And how God has brought things full circle. And my husband who shot you, you are now helping see our son heal from an addiction. I'm like, mind blown. <laughs> That's crazy. But that is the God we serve, guys. You want me to tell you something? Someday, someday the hurt that you and I experience will help heal someone else. That hurt, God is such a great, amazing, almighty, sovereign God that the pain and the hurt, the things we think we can't recover from, he uses to help heal others. This is unbelievable. We don't, there is no God like our God, and no one is capable of, of seeing the healing and restoration that he can bring. And finally, there is a promise in the circle. I mean, I'm living out the promise right now in my life. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids and family. I get to lead a ministry where I feel like I am just, we are running in a lane that was designed, specifically tailor-made for us. Loving people that are hard to love, but man, just loving every minute of that. I am living the promise. And what's crazy is, like the Israelites, like the children of Israel, they were brought back to, to their homeland. You know what? If I'm really honest, I did not want to come back to Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? Think about it. I had hurt people. I had damaged relationships. I was physically harmful to people. I was emotionally harmful. I sold poison. I didn't want to go back and face the pain and, and all the things that I had caused in my life. But God is such an amazing God. He can bring us back full circle to face those things, that pain, those, that stuff we've experienced because of the experience, the relationship we've had with him in the entire process through the people we've engaged with. He presents us with his promise. Many of you in this room, many of you in this room, I believe this, many of you have disqualified yourself by something that Jesus didn't even come close to disqualifying you for. Matter of fact, he died to qualify you. You probably heard this statement before. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. We've all heard that, but that's the truth. Man, because of what you experience, God wants you. Not in spite of. Because we're broken. He knows we need a Savior, and he wants to grab that, harness that, and use it, those things that we've experienced to experience his love and to share his love with others. It doesn't make sense, but the reality is, Isaiah says in chapter 58, it says, Your ways aren't my ways. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts, declares the Lord. We just don't think like him, man. But when we surrender to him, we can engage with the, with the process and people that he's called us to, to, to possess the promise. You see, what I've realized in my life is that God wants what's best for us more than we want what's best for us we got to trust him with our lives. we got to trust him with what he has for us and has planned for us. He wants for what's best for us way more than we do. I'll close with this story, but 
as if, as if the story couldn't get any better, there's more to the story. And I'm going to come back, hopefully, if, ever, if you guys let me come back next time, and I'll say there's even more to the story. But, man, I had filed a pardon years ago, filed for a pardon, because I thought, man, how cool would it be to get a pardon from all my crimes? You know, I don't need it. I'm living the dream. It's all good. But, man, I, I thought it would be kind of cool to have a pardon. So I filed the paperwork. It wasn't done properly. And so uh, they sent me a letter back saying, no, nah, this isn't right. You're going to have to refile some things. And I said, ah, I give up. I'm not going to file it anymore. I don't need this. And so in that process, um, we had made some decisions to move to Minnesota to be with Pastor C.J. and Kristen, who are great friends of uh, Pastor Steve and Shauna and Julian I's as well. And he's preached here as well, I believe. And um, we moved up north because we needed to just grow together. To, and we realized now it was so we could do what we were doing at City Center. We made that decision and obeyed God to move to Minnesota. And it didn't make any sense because we were such Oklahoma City people. All our friends were mad at us. It was crazy. But we just felt, man, we got to obey God in every season of our lives. And we did. The next day after I told the staff at the church we were at before that we were leaving, I get a letter in the mail. It's from the Pardon and Parole Board. And it says, hey, you got a pardon hearing for to be pardoned from your crimes. I'm like, this is comical. Like somebody messed up, right? I'm like, this is an accident. And so I was like, okay, I'll humor them. And it was the, a week from that day, the next week. Well, my time frame was from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And just so you know, the percentage of people getting yes votes after 11 a.m. goes down like by 40%. It's crazy. It's like awful. Yeah, it's bad. And so I'm thinking, this is even more comical. Okay, God, you're like teeing me up to either humble me or like to work a miracle. Like something's about to go down. I don't know what it is. And so I go there and I get there at three and I go dead last at five o'clock. Yeah, dead last. So I'm just like, okay, it's really getting interesting. And I'm, this is no exaggeration. And so I'm sitting there from three to five listening to all these people. There were people that had written hot checks 10 years ago that were getting denied their pardon. I'm thinking, I'm just going to laugh in their face when I get up here, you know? So I get up there, and there's a lady that had been grilling people this entire time, that the people that were coming up for their pardons, and it was my turn next. So I just took a deep breath. I was like, all right, just like when I called Jerry, Holy Spirit, it's me and you, man, me and you, Jesus. You know, here we go. I sat down on my chair. I looked at them. It was a woman right in front of me who was grilling us, the guys, and they were like, two other people on either side. They all took a deep breath, leaned back in their chairs and said, what do you have to say, Mr. Chapel?" And I just let it go. I mean, I, I told them my entire story. I had two minutes to talk. They let me talk 20 minutes. I told my entire story. I shared the gospel with them. I told them what God had done in my life and the things that I was so privileged to be a part of it with the church and all this other stuff. Before I was finished with the entire talk that I had given, half the board was in tears. After I finished talking, the lady in the center who was dictating this entire thing leaned forward and she said, Mr. Chapel, I'm not sure how to say this. She said, we met first thing this morning because your case was one of the most severe of this quarter. We looked at your jacket. We saw all the work you did in the church. We saw your work you did in the community. We saw all the great things that you had going on and the commitments you had made in, in various areas throughout our city. And we said, and she said, I even was an officer on, on the force with the officer that shot you, Jerry, when, he, when this happened. I remember it vividly. 
She said, we see the letters from him, his wife. We see all this evidence. And we said, this is a no vote for us this morning. This is too controversial. It's too big a deal. She said, but after hearing your story and after seeing you face to face, she said, for me, and she looked at everybody else, she said, for me, it's a yes vote. And everybody else said, us too. They voted unanimously yes for me to receive parole. Man. I'm sorry. To receive my pardon. Not parole. I was, that happened a long time ago. Received a full pardon. Man. In that moment, it made me realize I physically experienced tangibly with the, with the board there in that moment what Christ has done for us spiritually. Christ came to earth, lived in flesh and blood. God with skin on man, walked among us, shared relationship with us, walked with us, talked with us, showed us how we're supposed to do it, right? Suffered a brutal death, an awful death. We don't highlight that enough sometimes. An awful, brutal death and rose again so that you and I could have new life and have new life to the full. And I believe that full part is walking in our purpose, possessing the promise that he's given us to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope in a future, but not just for us, church. It's for other people. It's crazy. After I, there's, it never fails. After I speak to youth groups, there's some youth that will come up to me at times and he says, man, I wish I had a testimony as cool as yours. I'm like, first of all, nope. After I speak to adults, a lot of times I have people that come up to me and say, hey, well, like, be honest, would you do it all over again? Would you change anything? And the reality is I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't get to see and have a relationship with the officer that shot me and give a clear display of Christ's reconciling power. I wouldn't get to see his son experience hope and healing and transformation. I wouldn't get to see my brothers who have accepted Christ now and now are pastors. What? I wouldn't get to see the, the many people I've, I've talked to that have come to me after talking to me and saying, man, I was about to go kill myself. But I realized that, man, there's hope in Christ. If I can see the hope in your eyes, no, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I would embrace the promise he's given me today. And my challenge to you tonight is to embrace the promise he has given each and every one of us. It's all right with you guys. I just want to pray for you really quick. God, I thank you so much, Lord. I thank you so much, God, that you have given us all hope and purpose, the opportunity to engage in a process and affect other people along the way. I pray, God, that tonight, if anyone in this room is struggling with a, seeing their value in you, I pray that you would move in their hearts tonight. Just really quickly, with nobody looking around, man, if you feel like you are far from God, you've drifted far from your purpose, you feel void of purpose tonight, and you want to embrace this gospel to begin to walk in that process, 
and to begin to walk in that purpose, just raise your hand really quickly. Just slip it up really quick. Nobody looking around. Hands all over the room. I see you guys. I see you guys. I see you. 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 More importantly, God sees you. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is the story is not over for you. The story is not over for you. You can put those hands down. I'm going to pray over you guys. And I just celebrate you guys tonight. God, we thank you so much for these hands that were raised. We thank you so much, God, for the hope you've given us in Christ. We thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much that you gave your life for us so that we might have life eternal. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.